Welcome to this week's episode of Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to start off by reminding you of the most important truth in the entire universe. God loves you. Now, this week, we're going to finally shift gears, and we're going to take a look at the multiverse. And we're going to ask the question, does the multiverse help naturalism escape this conundrum that has been created by the scientific discoveries of universal fine-tuning? The problem that we're starting to run into here is that in the first two areas where we looked for an explanation, does the evidence on the table support the idea of an intelligent third party creating the universe, or does it support that naturalism could be correct? What we saw in the first example when we looked at the creation of the universe is the idea of an intelligent third party creating the universe is the most likely explanation of those that are on the table. And what we're starting to see forming up around this idea of universal fine-tuning is, again, the idea of an intelligent third party. Remember, there's three options here. Option number one is that the evidence that we see for fine-tuning in the universe that supports life is that an intelligent third party is responsible for that. That makes a lot of sense as we look at this, because what we see is design. We see purposeful intent that created the, the makeup, the fundamental underlying makeup of the universe around us. The second option is luck. Luck is the answer to all of this, that our universe was the winner of the universal lottery. All of the conditions just happened to come together by chance in our universe. Ignore the odds. The odds, yes, they're terrible and okay, they're prohibitively bad. But if you just have an infinite number of chances, eventually you'll get across that finish line. The third option is one that we're just not spending a lot of time on. And the third option is, well, the universe formed by chance, but it had to be this way by necessity. It couldn't have been another way. And the only explanation for this idea of necessity would be some sort of fine-tuning again, which is going to point us right back to a creator. So I don't think that gets us very far. There are some who argue for it, but I don't think you find that being the main argument on either side. Really, this comes down to design versus luck. And luck is where we're going tonight with the multiverse. Can the multiverse provide so much luck that it's able to get us past these odds that we've been talking about in the last few episodes, odds that are just prohibitively big. Let's talk for a second about what the multiverse is and what the multiverse isn't. As much as we all might enjoy Marvel's movies, the multiverse is not what you saw Marvel navigating through for the last few movies and TV series. There are not an infinite number of any one of us and an infinite number of Earths in a bunch of other universes out there. Even if there were an infinite number of universes, there's no way everything would come together where there would be another you and another me. I mean, that's just not possible. So, I mean, it makes for great movies. Don't get me wrong. They're terribly entertaining, although they're not as good as Endgame and, and the movies that came before, just my personal opinion. But... When you look at these movies and things like that, the universe, this idea of the multiverse, it makes for really good television. It makes for really good movies. It's just not really good science, okay? So let's talk about what the multiverse really is. The idea behind the multiverse, and there's probably two main competing theories, and I guess there's kind of a third theory that's a combination of the two, is going to come down to either string theory or inflationary theory. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail tonight because we're just going to spend time talking about the multiverse. 
But both theories, it's important to note, both theories have a lot of problems, and the predictive value of either theory is questionable. Um, a lot of things that the theories predict should happen, we don't see. There's problems and issues with both of them in terms of, not perhaps surprisingly, how fine-tuned they have to be to be able to generate these things. The key to either one of them is going to be that somewhere outside of our universe, there is a third, there's an entity. And this machine, in essence, is creating new universes. It has, for a past eternity, that's going to be our, our catch, another one of our problems, it has basically been somehow generating new universes. And the idea behind it is, if you could just have enough universes, and it's going to have to be an infinite number, because if you remember from the last episode, the mathematics that we're dealing with when we talk about fine-tuning is so gargantuan in even just one of the examples that it's impossible to get past. And so unless you have an actually infinite number of universes, you're going to have an impossible time getting past this idea of the mathematics of fine-tuning. And the reality is, and, and I think this is important as we've talked about this before, so we can actually talk in realistic terms. If you remember when we talked about infinites uh, quite a few episodes ago now, infinites are mathematically possible, but they're logically impossible in the real world. You can have an infinite set of numbers mathematically. That makes logical sense. But when you try to have an actual set of something in the real world, an infinite number of them, you run into impossible contradictions that just don't make any sense and don't work. So let's talk about that idea and let's kind of walk through that. The problems with the multiverse are going to be many. But let's, let's kind of start and let's start walking through this and what the issues with this really are. So number one, the first issue that you're going to run into with the multiverse is... What is it that's generating all of these universes? You know, this idea of Occam's razor, and you'll hear this bantied around a lot of times. I, you hear Dawkins talk about it a lot, and I think he gets the definition of Occam's razor wrong because he always wants to use the idea of simplicity to rule God out of existence. And I, I think I've mentioned before, I don't think that's an appropriate use of the term or of the concept. Occam's razor basically tells us that when we're looking at possible solutions... Obviously, we're wanting to look at the explanatory power of the solutions. But if you've got a situation where you're looking at solutions, which, what you don't want to do is to find some solution that is some ridiculous, convoluted, incredibly complex solution. Occam's razor tells us the more simple solution is generally going to be the correct one. If you've got something that is just this convoluted mess, realistically, how does that happen? And it's, it's something that we recognize in our everyday life as well. So the first problem that we recognize when we look at this idea of multiverse is we've got this machine that has been generating other universes for all eternity. That seems to be a massively complex idea, and it doesn't seem to work in a lot of different ways. You know, before I mentioned that the least likely thing that could pop into existence was the Big Bang. And coming out of the Big Bang basically the entire universe leapt into existence. And we had talked about that when we were looking at how, did the how was the universe created. And at the time we said the least likely thing that could pop into existence would be the universe. How is that possible? How do you get a Big Bang that produces this universe around us? Well, I'm wrong. 
something that's infinitely less likely than the universe popping into existence is a universe-generating machine popping into existence that for all eternity has been generating other universes. The problem that you run into with the multiverse is it, it piles complexity on top of complexity on top of complexity to do this. So now you've got something that is even remarkably less likely that jumped in to begin the beginning of the universe, which is this universe-generating machine that we have. The second problem that we're going to have is the fine-tuning problem. The very thing that the multiverse is trying to answer, which is the fine-tuning problem, fails to recognize that the fine-tuning problem is dramatically exacerbated by the multiverse. Not only do you have the problem of the fine-tuning of our universe that we're trying to get around with all of these infinite odds, but the machine that's generating all of these universes, by definition, has got to be even more finely tuned than the universes that it's spitting out. In any situation where you have something that is creating something new, the process that it's going through to create these things, generally speaking, is, I mean, again, if I wanted to be a little bit mean in this, I could point to Dawkins' own reasons of why he wants to rule God out, because he claims that God is so complex. Okay, if you've ever read through some string theory or looked at inflationary models, the mechanisms that are being described that are generating all of these universes are amazingly complex. And it's funny, I, I would be curious to know what Richard Dawkins' thoughts are as it relates to that. Because to me, that seems infinitely more complex than the idea that an, an intelligent third party is responsible. But in terms of fine-tuning, now you have to explain where did the universe generator come from, and then you've got to fine-tune the process that it's using to create all of these new universes. And then you're going to have the fine-tuning of the universes that it's creating that we're trying to explain. So you've piled problem on top of problem getting to this place where you can explain the multiverse, just getting the multiverse off the ground. So our, again, our first two issues in this is where did the multiverse generator come from? And number two, how do you explain the fine-tuning of the thing that's doing the creating of these new universes that's trying to get around the fine-tuning argument? So the fine-tuning is only made infinitely worse in all of this. Number three is going to be energy. And remember before, we've mentioned that our universe has an abundant amount of energy. And eventually, through the second law of thermodynamics, we know that our universe will eventually grow cold and die. It's not a happy thought. But that's when all of the energy runs out. Where is the universe-generating machine getting all of this energy that it keeps pumping into all of these infinite numbers of universes that it's creating? We have a, we have a ridiculous amount of free energy in our universe. And it goes back to this idea that Penrose was talking about. And when you go back, if you've got something that's generating an infinite number of universes, that's where the energy is coming from, is from this universe-generating machine. How is it doing that? Where is it getting all of its energy from? If it's been creating an infinite number of universes, or again, let's say we back off the idea, which I'm going to be arguing for here in a second, of an actual infinite, even if it's been generating trillions and trillions of universes, where is it getting all of the energy from that it's dumping into these universes? Where is that coming from? So the second law of thermodynamics should suggest to us that it's not possible that this universal generating machine has an infinite amount of energy 
to create an infinite number of universes, sooner or later, isn't it going to also run out of gas? Number four, the other problem that we're going to have is if this original universe that's generating all of these other universes that it's spawning off, it's not going to be able to be past eternal either. You remember from before the bord lincoln theorem. Well, even if you use um, the Hawking-Penrose-Ellis singularity theorems, there are going to be an enormous number of scientific theories that point us back to the reality that the universe cannot be past eternal. It has a beginning point. And I understand this idea of a universal generating machine would give us a beginning point to the universe. But the universal generating machine couldn't be past eternal either. The same bord lincoln theorems would apply to it. The same, the same Hawking-Penrose-Ellis singularity theorems would apply to it. So how do you, you can't have a universal generating machine that has existed past eternal. The problem is the exact same arguments that we have against our universe being past eternal are going to apply in nearly every case to this universal generating machine. So again, we have a problem of how could it have been creating universes in perpetuity if science tells us that it couldn't have existed in perpetuity either. There are going to be other issues in all of this too, just theoretical problems that I have with it. Number one, where is the debris going from all of these infinite number of universes that existed prior to ours? If they're all collapsing into black holes, wouldn't you have like an infinite number of black holes out there right in front of the universal generating machine as it keeps spitting these things out that eventually, aren't you going to get, isn't it going to get kind of crowded in this space where all of these universes are being generated? Of course, with no space and time, how do you get, you know, it just, it creates an infinite conundrum of things. Again, going back to infinity, but it would strike me that there would be a lot of uh, debris from all of the prior universes, things like that. But the other problem that we're going to run into is, in my opinion, what I would call the lottery issue. Does someone win the lottery every time the lottery is drawn? We talked about this last episode. The answer is no. Okay? The reason why that is, remember the odds are 1 in 292 million that someone wins the lottery. If you sold 292 million tickets, would you always have a winner? Well, the answer is no. And the reason you wouldn't have a winner is because you're going to get the same people who at random get the same numbers on their tickets. Now, one of two things is going to happen. It's possible you get more than one winner. That does happen on rare occasions. It's also much more likely that those people who drew the same number both lose. Or if you have 10 people who all got the same set of numbers, all 10 of them lose. That's much more likely. Even if you have a universe-generating machine that has been generating universes at infinity to try to get around the odds, you haven't actually helped yourself because if it's actually generating universes at random, and it has to be, otherwise it can only function by design, but if it's actually generating universes at random, then it's going to generate a whole bunch of universes over and over and over again with the same set of parameters, none of which are capable of supporting life. The vast majority of the time, it's going to generate universes that are losers anyway. But every time it cranks out yet another universe that it's already previously done, you've just wasted yet another universe. You're going to be burning through, unless you have an infinite number of chances to get around the odds, you, it's not enough to have something that's generating universe after universe after universe. What if every single universe that it generates has the exact same set of parameters, none of which are life-producing? Which is going to be much more likely than getting a universe like ours that's finely tuned. Remember, 
just because you have something generating a whole bunch of universes doesn't help you from a design standpoint. The only way you get around this is eventually if you just get lucky and you get one universe that happens to be life permitting. But the odds of that happening are so incredibly minuscule that unless you get a new universe every time, you never play through all of your odds anyway. Let me walk through this because this is the problem that fundamentally you're going to have if you're a believer that the multiverse gets you past of all of this. And clearly Dawkins falls into that category. Dawkins recently on a podcast, and this is his quote, the physical constants, and he's talking, I apologize, he's talking here about fine tuning and the real problem that it poses for the naturalist. The physical constants, things like the speed of light, the gravitational constant, the strong and weak force things, physicists agree, most physicists agree, that if you change any of those constants by even a very, very small amount, then we don't come into existence. The universe doesn't come into existence. They have to be like that in order for galaxies to form, for stars to form, for chemistry to form, actually. And then, for the pre and then for the prerequisite for life to evolve, need that as well. So that is the nearest approach to a good argument. And that's Dawkins talking about a good argument for God's existence. Now, Dawkins is going to chalk that up to find the, the multiverse gets you around that. But here's the problem with that. We're looking for an infinite number of chances to get us around the impossible odds that fine-tuning poses. Here's going to be your problem if you don't stand on infinity. If you actually pick a real number, and like I said, pick as big of a number as you want. The very first problem is going to be that in nearly every single universe, I mean, I'm going to grant you that the Big Bang actually happens. That you actually, that this universe generating machine somehow begins generating universes, which I would say that the most unlikely thing to jump into existence would be this universe generating machine. I'm going to pose a second issue, which is who starts it up? Who starts it generating new universes? How does, where do we get that from? But, you know, fine. Well, let's, let me concede all of that just to get this argument moving. In nearly every single universe that forms, and this is going to be according to Stephen Hawking's observations, the very first problem that you're going to have is if the expansion speed isn't just right, then the universe immediately collapses back in on itself and you get nothing but a black hole. Or the universe spreads out too quickly and nothing forms and you get nothing but a debris cloud. In nearly every universe that is created, you're going to get nothing. And that's going to be the first problem. So in nearly every single universe that's created, you get nothing. But then let's say in the very small percent of them that do end up creating something, you're going to run into issues, not just the expansion rate. And remember the list that we had last time. Gravity has to be just right. Stars have to react with each other. The, and, and I can use Dawkins' own quote. Things like the speed of light, the gravitational constant, the strong and weak nuclear force... All of those things, they each and every one of them have to be exactly right. So you're going to get the strong nuclear force right on some, but everything else is wrong. You're going to get the weak nuclear force right on some, and everything else is wrong. Every one of those universes is going to fail to support life, and in most cases, they're, fail they're going to fail to produce anything. And even the ones where you get a couple of them correct, 
They've all got to interact together with each other. So it's not just, it's not just unlikely, it's impossible. Unless you game the numbers to say, if you have an infinite number of chances, eventually luck will overcome. Come on, really? I mean, that's, I, I, we're going to talk in the next episode about Pascal's wager. But is that really something that you feel comfortable betting eternity on? Is luck will find a way if we just give luck enough chances? Is there any area of our lives, of our experience, where that is the case? Where sooner or later, if you just throw enough luck at an impossible problem, luck can overcome the impossible. This was why we started where we did in that very first episode. And I know I've mentioned this before, and I'm not meaning to repeat myself again. But it is absolutely wrong for the theist to lean on blind faith. Blind faith is not a good thing as it relates to these arguments. I understand that completely. But if you lean on blind luck enough... I fear as we look at some of this stuff, and we're going to look at some quotes down the road that, that do kind of back this up. You know, the charge that was made, if you go all the way back to, to Charles Darwin, was that Darwin spoke of natural selection in almost godlike terms. If you lean on luck enough, doesn't luck eventually become the same thing as blind faith? Sooner or later, doesn't leaning on blind luck and, and science, science in the third person, doesn't science in the third person become a god with a little g eventually if the only way you can keep that science alive is with luck? Now, there's no question luck happens. I get that. I, I, I understand it. But sooner or later, too much luck. We have to back away from that. And that's where we find ourselves. Even if you pile all of this in together, even if you rely 100% on luck, sooner or later it reaches the point of being ridiculous. I love this quote from Clifford Longley, a journalist who was looking at these issues, and he recognized that this appearance of design, this idea of design, really one of the, one of the things that we looked at with the, the anthropic argument, the appearance of design, in looking at this, he says, the anthropic design argument and what it points to is of such an order of certainty that in any other sphere of science it would be regarded as settled. To insist otherwise is like insisting that Shakespeare was not written by Shakespeare because it might have been written by a billion monkeys sitting at a billion keyboards typing for a billion years. So it might. But the sight of scientific atheists clutching at such desperate straws has put new spring in the step of theists. That goes back to 1989. And the number of discoveries that we have made in the last 34 years only have made this problem that much bigger for naturalism. There are a lot of things to question as it relates to the multiverse. And the one thing that I haven't thrown on the table in all of this is the, is the whole idea of the multiverse is theoretical. There is no proof of the multiverse. There are theories that support that it might exist, but it is highly, highly speculative. The reality is, would you bet eternity on a very speculative theory that revolves around the idea that if you give luck an infinite number of chances, an infinite number of chances can overcome the clear appearance of design. Is that really what you would bet eternity on? And that's where we find ourselves. As we, as we reach this point, and we're going to talk about that next week when we look at Pascal's wager and we talk about these issues, as we reach this point in the process, 
we've reached a decision point. What is the most likely explanation for the fine-tuning of the universe? Is it possible, as Clifford Longley observed, it could be a billion monkeys sitting at a billion keyboards typing for a billion years? Is that how we got Shakespeare's works? Yeah, I guess if you give it enough chances, maybe, but that doesn't seem like a very scientific theory. The idea of clinging to the multiverse to get us an infinite number of chances to get around fine-tuning, it feels like we're grasping at straws here. Remember, we've got to explain, if you, if you inject the multiverse into the situation, now not only do we have to explain the beginning of the universe, because there's a lot of questions as to how that would happen, now we have to back it up. We have to explain where did the multiverse generating machine come from, how is it so finely tuned, where does it get all of its energy from, how can it possibly be past eternal when science tells us that that shouldn't be possible? Where's all the debris coming from? How do you get around the lottery issue that it actually creates an infinite number of different universes? And that's before you can launch our universe into existence. And then once you get to that point, which seems much more complex than just recognize, than just recognizing the hand of intelligence creating the universe, the fingerprint of intelligence recognized in the design of the universe. If we put all of this up to luck, then we've got to get all of these things piled together just perfectly. And then, I hate to say this, then we've got to get to a point. And if you have one universe that escapes all of this, because then you've got to get life to actually evolve on this little blue planet of ours. And what we're going to find as we get further down the road is that's just about as unlikely, if not more so, than everything that we've just talked about. Everything that we've just talked about is going to have the exact same problems when we get to life on this little blue planet of ours. All that you've done by interjecting the multiverse into this equation is you've made an infinitely impossible problem that much more exponentially difficult. And it feels like we're grasping at straws here in an effort to keep naturalism alive. At the end of the day, we keep trying to put together some process that can produce a fingerprint, a naturalistic way to randomly produce a fingerprint that could explain away the fingerprint of intelligence. And what we know in nature is that doesn't happen. What we know by looking around us is that doesn't happen. When we see the fingerprint of intelligence and in design, it's because there's an intelligence behind it and randomly giving luck enough chances to get us past that, in no other area of life does that actually work. And I'm amazed we believe it works here. It, it feels like we've lost our curiosity when it comes to this point, and we're just willing to say, luck can get us by. And that just doesn't feel like a good idea. But we will talk about this more on the next episode. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. If you like today's podcast, I hope you'll consider hitting the like and subscribe button. You can find our podcasts on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify. You can also find us on our website at prooftograce.com, or you can reach out to us via email at prooftograce at yahoo.com. Thank you once again for joining us. And again, at the end of the day, the most important truth of the entire universe is that fingerprint that we're starting to see of intelligence. What if that intelligent designer did all of this for you. It wouldn't be a bad thing. Thank you so much for joining us and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.